When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome into episode 101 of the Poke the Bear podcast. I'm your host, Connor Ryan, riding solo this week. Uh, our esteemed uh, host, Evan Marinovsky, a uh, good friend, is uh, soaking up the sun in Cape Cod this week. He's out and about. Might still be stuck on traffic uh, and over at the Sagamore Bridge. Who knows, maybe catching some rays, going to Sunday school, getting an ice cream. Who knows what he's doing? But regardless, not on the podcast this week. Unfortunately, you're just stuck with me. Uh, but all things considered, if it's a solo show, it actually works out pretty well because, what do you know, there's still not a whole lot of tangible news to talk about with the Bruins these days. Uh, for as much as... Uh, came nearly talked about the fact that Don Sweeney was going to have a contract extension all wrapped up. It's been five weeks and we have not had a press release yet. Don't really know what's going on with Don Sweeney. Uh, the draft is in about two weeks. Uh, still have no clarity on who's exactly steering the ship. I assume it is Don Sweeney, but you'd probably like to have like just it in writing somewhere as to who's actually making these personnel decisions. So nothing to report there. Bruins uh, search for their next head coach is still ongoing. Uh, they are taking their time in terms of interviewing candidates uh, and trying to determine who's kind of the best fit for this team moving forward. That it's kind of at a crossroads, right? We don't really know who exactly uh, or what path they're going to take, whether it's, running it back, whether it's rebuilding, retooling, if Bergeron's going to be back, whole lot of stuff still up in the air. Um, you know, it feels like there's still one or two dominoes that need to fall uh, for this team before the offseason really starts to ramp up. And we haven't really had that yet, right? We don't have any indication quite yet as to whether or not Patrice Bergeron is going to come back, which I think is going to set in motion which path the Bruins end up taking. And still, yeah, no clarity yet on a coach. Uh you're starting to see other coaches get plucked up around the league. Obviously, Paul Maurice goes to Florida, which is an interesting situation. Last week, John Tortorella goes to Philly, which will be – the content will be fantastic for that. That's all I'll, I'll say to that um, for what he'll do for that team. Um, but for the Bruins, yeah, nothing, nothing really to report on uh, in terms of who they're identifying. We heard reports last week that Jay Leach was a favorite, David Quinn was a favorite – uh, you know, we discussed the, the Quinn situation a little bit on uh, Bruins beat uh, earlier this week and not really buying into it for, for David Quinn in terms of how exactly he fits with this team. It, it's one of those ones where, sure, you kind of look at his reputation. He's known as a guy that, you know, gives younger players a little bit more of a rope, is a little bit more of a, a positive uh, voice in the room. Um, that's not to say that 
Bruce Cassidy was doom and gloom, but was very blunt and candid in terms of, you know, what he wants and, and what he expects out of this team. Quinn's a little bit more, I guess, loosey goosey in that regard in terms of what you're trying to get from him. But I feel like if you're the Bruins and you're trying to go into a bold new direction or at least really kind of change things up, like even if let's say they bring back Bergeron or Krejci, you're still augmenting a, a pretty significant part of this roster, I think. And especially the fact that you're moving on from a guy like Cassidy, like there's a lot of changes afoot for this franchise. So if you have the opportunity, might not go, you know, why not go for a younger coach who maybe is less proven, but one can relate to kind of the younger players that you have that even if it's not this year, you're going to have an influx of younger talent coming into the system and on the NHL roster in the years ahead. And two, someone that just uh, brings a different dynamic. So it makes sense as to why they're, you know, looking at a guy like Jay Leach, especially a young guy was kind of viewed as that coach in waiting for a while before he uh, went over to Seattle this past season. But uh, whether it's a guy like him or a guy like Spencer Cobbery, which uh, I, I wrote a, a column over at Boston Sports Journal about Cobbery and why I think he should be the favorite, um, I think that those are the guys you need to target. Like you, you're going into this kind of uncharted territory for this franchise. Why not get a guy like Cobbery, who, yes, he's young, he's 40, but every stop he's gone along the way in his coaching career, he's gotten rave reviews. Uh, he's well known as being a guy that is innovative in terms of how he develops his systems of how he works on the power play, um, how he adapts kind of the roster given to him. Like you look at Cobbery and as much as he gets glowing reviews for working with younger players of, you know, being kind of a fresh voice, all those things that the Bruins are clearly targeting with what their uh, new coach is going to be. I, I think you also have to look at, Cabaret has a good track record of working with established players, established personnel and getting more out of them. I think you look at what he did this past year with Toronto. Yes. You look at the Maple Leafs power play should be good. You know, regardless of what coach is leading them, when you got guys like Matthews and Mana and Riley and Nylander and Tavares, they should be good. They weren't that good in 2020, 21. Like they went uh, 16th overall. I think they have the second worst power play in the league during the second half of the year. And, uh, you know, Cabrera goes in there his first year in Sheldon Keefe staff and really kind of revamps it completely kind of augments how they go about their, their business on the power play moves, Mitch Mono over to the bumper position, uh, brings Nylander closer to the half wall, where he's able to get more shots off and, Again, established players there, but you got a guy like Cabrera who goes in and really can kind of uproot kind of the the working order of that group and, and the returns sp- spoke for themselves, right? I mean, Toronto had the number one power play in the league uh, this past year. So I think if you're the Bruins, they're still evaluating their options, still taking their time, which I guess you'd rather, you know, take your time than rush into it, uh, if, especially considering just how franchise shifting this summer is, is poised to be for this this team but um i i think you look at who the bruins are targeting who they've been rumored to to go after i think if you're them you have to look at a younger a younger coach like a, a cabri or or even a leech um to kind of guide you that next direction so nothing yet to report on in terms of the coaching search nothing yet to report on with don sweeney we're kind of just sitting in the wind trying to read the tea leaves and trying to get, you know, any sort of information we can. And right now, ain't a whole lot going on. Not a whole lot going on. So Evan picked a fantastic week to enjoy some uh, some time down the Cape. 
Uh, as for other Bruins topics, the only other uh, kind of important thing is uh, NHL awards came out uh, on Tuesday and no real surprises. Obviously uh, Bergeron won his fifth Selkie that was announced a few weeks ago. Um, no surprise there. The ballot came out and it was a landslide. Um, I was lucky enough to get a, uh, uh, vote in this year's NHL awards and Bergeron was far and away the favorite. Uh, you look at eye test, underlying numbers, all that stuff, no brainer. Uh, a guy like Bergeron for as much as there's a lot of talk about, you know, what the next step is for him in his career. If Bergeron does end up retiring, it's not because of the fact that his game is tilled off. I mean, he had an all time defensive season for a forward and his 18th season in a Bruins sweater. So a testament to him and the the way he kind of keeps himself, you know, at this level, this high level of play that he holds himself to um, other awards in terms of the Bruins, uh, Charlie McAvoy wasn't, uh, you know, was not favored to win the Norris ended up being outside of the top three ends up finishing fourth, which is an improvement from fifth place the year before uh, Kale McCow wins the Norris who had my number one vote. Uh, you know, then you had Roman Yossi and Victor Hedman as well. Um, I personally had McAvoy second. Uh, I, I think it's it, it, it's definitely tough, right? You look at all the different awards, like the uh, the hot trophy, even where, you know, I went Matthew Shesterkin, McDavid and McDavid had 123 points. But uh, that's kind of the, the burden, the challenge that comes with voting in these awards is you have to weigh kind of the importance of the player to their team, how you kind of break down how the award is handed out, uh, the meaning behind it, other circumstances that play. So for, you know, the Norris voting for me, it's tough for a guy like McAvoy because unless uh, he suddenly explodes for 70, 80 points, which I don't think that's in his repertoire. Um, he's probably going to be on the outside looking in at a, a few of these other guys, right? Like he wasn't going to, get past a guy like Macau, obviously, who, again, is an offensive defenseman, but is a special talent in his own right. I mean, Mikhail Makar is unbelievable. Don't let Evan listen to this podcast. Uh, then you look at a guy like Roman Yossi, who had, what, 94 points, uh, the most by a defenseman since, I think, Ray Bork in 93. McAvoy wasn't, uh, you know, leapfrogging him. And then Victor Hedman, who has been uh, in the Norris conversation for years now, casually put together an 85 point season too. Like, it's not like he was just, you know, a, a reputation vote by any means for a guy like Hedman. So McAvoy had some steep competition, especially when it comes to the offensive numbers. And it's not to say that, you know, McAvoy is not like a, you know, like a, a Jacob Slavin or a guy like that, who a good year for him is like 30 points and he'll never get the recognition because I think Slavin's maybe one of the most underrated players in the league in terms of just his position, positioning, shutdown, all that stuff. Um, but I think when you look at McAvoy and what he brings, that complete package um, is what I think sets him apart, whether it's the minutes he logs, the shutdown ability he has as a defenseman, um, his physicality, which I think separates him from some, maybe some of those other offensive defensemen. And again, you look at still his offensive production. Yeah, he didn't have 80, 90 points. Uh, 55 plus points is still pretty damn good for a defenseman, right? Uh, a guy who made pretty good strides on the power play should only keep on getting better. Like, I don't think we've even hit the ceiling for a guy like McAvoy and what he can bring to this team. So uh, that's why I, I had him second, end up finishing fourth. You hope that, you know, as I think more voters 
catch on to some of these things that a guy like McAvoy or even a guy like Slavin, those kind of defensemen start getting their due a bit more. And that, you know, if you're a award voter uh, in the media, you don't just look at the Norris and look at the point total first as kind of your main determinant there. Um, uphill battle, but you hope to see that kind of shift a little bit. And then uh, Jeremy Swayman finished fifth in uh, in the Calder Trophy vote and finished uh, won the the goalie position for the all rookie team, which was a no brainer there. Swayman, I think, was far and away the best uh, rookie goalie uh, in the league. Um, wasn't going to get you know uh, serious consideration for the Calder. I think you look at uh, Mo Sider and what he did uh, for Detroit this year. Unreal. I mean, it's a guy where you look at some of the other players who's going up against. You got Zagros, who is probably the flashiest player, a guy that um, I'm sure made the NHL quite a bit of money this year in terms of advertising, uh, you know, all those uh, social media impressions, all that stuff. Fun player to watch. You look at a guy like Michael Bunting, who uh, had, I think, the most points for rookie, even though he was like, 38 years old. I'm, I'm kidding. But again, I'm not going to put him over, you know, guys who are four or five years younger than him. Uh, but I think Sider, you look at everything he brings in terms of uh, the minutes he logged, his strong underlying numbers. He still had, you know, 50 plus points as a rookie defenseman. Uh, I think it was, uh, he was far and away the best rookie in the league this year in a year where plenty of talented guys, you had like also Anton Lundell, Lucas Raymond, uh, Tina Janot, uh over in Nashville, who uh, was an underrated player, I think, in terms of just his ability to impact, bring middle six scoring to a team like Nashville, also being very physical. A guy that Bruins fans would love to have is a guy like him. So a really, really stacked year all across the board uh, in terms of all these ballots, right? Like even the Selkie, sure, Bergeron was, you know, first, but then when it comes to voting, you know, two through five, not easy. A lot of really, really talented guys in all of these different awards. Um, even as I said, the hot trophy where it's sure you, I think had the big three there and, and Matthew Shesterkin and uh, McDavid, but you also have like a guy like Johnny Goudreau, right? Johnny Goudreau finished fourth. Uh, I want to say, and he was fourth on my ballot, but he's a guy who had 90 even strength points this past year, 90 even strength points. And he finishes fourth. If there's any other year you'd expect him to be top three like maybe outright win the award, right? When you, when you look at just what he brings to this team. So, you know, the opportunity to vote in the awards was a, uh, a definite honor for me. Uh, it spent many hours combing through the numbers and, and reading into stuff. Cause last thing you want to do is be the guy who sends in a ballot and then they go public. And then like five minutes later, you have like a Maple Leafs fan, like attacking you online. Don't want to be that guy. So thankfully that has not happened, but um a lot of hours of research uh, went into that towards uh, making that award. So congrats again to Patrice Bergeron. And you have to imagine that a guy like McAvoy is not going to uh, be off the ballot anytime soon. And you hope that maybe some other players uh, start getting their name more into the, some of these other awards. You know, I don't think Swayman's a Vezina favorite next year by any means, but you hope that eventually he starts putting himself in that conversation. So we'll see. Um, and then, yeah, for the rest of the podcast, might as well start combing through uh some uh mailbag questions i went i took to twitter reached out to uh our loyal listeners and asked for some questions so we'll sort through a couple of them now to end the uh end the pod so uh starting off we'll go with at bruins coverage loyal follower loyal listener thank you again 
Uh, and Bruins coverage asked, who has the best chance of becoming the next Bruins head coach? Well, I would probably say, uh, as much as people talk about Quinn being a, a guy in the running, I still feel like if you, if I was a betting person, which I'm not, but uh, I would probably have to go with Jay Leach has to be the favorite. I think in terms of, it just makes so much sense, right? If you're looking for someone with ties to the organization, which the Bruins love, but also a guy that's younger enough that can, you know, check off the other boxes in terms of what the Bruins are looking for in terms of a fresh voice, a guy who, you know, built a very strong reputation for himself, for himself. I think that's definitely someone you have to uh, look at as Jay Leach. Um, it just seems to make the most sense in terms of for the Bruins comfort factor of having someone who's been within the organization. And then you look at what he's done over his years in Providence, whether it's, you know, helping along some of these other younger players like uh, Jack Sednica, uh, Jakob Zaborl, uh, Oscar Steen, Trent Frederick, all these guys that he's kind of personally coached over the years that, you know, maybe he helps them reach the next level in their respective careers up at the NHL level. And not just the fact that the individual prospects that he's coached, but I think the thing with Jay Leach is why he was such a highly regarded coach down at the AHL level is that the results were always there. Like his players almost always were ready to start on time. They really didn't have extended lulls uh, in, during the AHL uh, season. We're always a, a model of consistency, even for a team that didn't necessarily have the, you know, the most stacked farm system. They're always ready to play, always, you know, structurally sound, uh, effective. So again, he's a very good coach, um, you know, for, for what he could bring to this team and what kind of that next chapter is for this team moving forward. So I definitely wouldn't put past them uh, looking at a guy like Leach and feeling he kind of checks off all the boxes as to what they need. So pretty, I would say probably a pretty safe bet that Jay Leach is the favorite as of right now for the Bruins head coaching job. And speaking of safe bets, might as well talk about our great partners over at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Stanley Cup final, Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today and use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code CLNS50. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so back to our uh, mailbag questions. We have one from at BobBeers19. Bob. Thanks for the question. And Bob asks, what is going to happen with Jake DeBrus now that Cassidy is gone? It's a great question, Bob, uh, in terms of what exactly the, the right step is for DeBrus moving forward. Um, when we spoke to him during the team's breakup day after the season ended, uh, seemed pretty noncommittal in terms of what the future was going to hold. Uh, you would hope that even like if let's say Cassie was back in the fold that perhaps that strong end to the season and those guaranteed top six minutes were enough to convince DeBrus to stay aboard. Now we'll see if it changes with Cassidy out of the picture. I mean, is it still just with Cassidy? Is it with the organization? Um, is it just uh, the way the roster is constructed, whether it's, you know, I think you kind of look at some of the, the struggles for DeBrusque and obviously his production 
dipped quite a bit, but you also look at where he was and, you know, struggling to kind of stay afloat in that top six role when he was on David Krejci's line, all of a sudden the Bruins go and get Taylor Hall and the writing's on the wall, right? That you're probably not getting guaranteed top six minutes until Cassidy kind of juggled those lines up last year. So uh, I, I think you kind of look at uh, for DeBrus, it's all about where his comfort fit comfort level is if he's guaranteed top six minutes maybe that's enough to sway him now but um if you're the Bruins too you also have to take a hard look at it like you signed him to that two-year extension at a very affordable rate for the purpose of moving him like they were still looking to move him at the deadline they didn't sign him to that deal to you know as a last ditch effort to be like no no wait wait stay we're doing this that contract extension was a way to get other teams to be like, all right, we don't have to deal with, you know, the fact that he has a qualifying offer or anything like that. He's signed to an affordable deal. We get him for two years and he, he can be a 20, 25 goal scorer on our team. Let's go trade for him. Didn't end up happening. So the Bruins, I think we're still looking to move him. And for the, for them moving forward, I think it's all going to be about where you get the best value from, right? Like, again, I don't think you're moving to brush for the, the sake of moving him. You shouldn't move a, a 25 year old guy that can give you 25, 30 goals, especially considering how much this team has struggled in the past with even strength scoring. Um, but also it's going to come down to an offer, a good offer, right? I don't think you're moving him for, I don't know, like a second round pick and a, a B level prospect. Uh, you know, I, is a team willing to pony up and give you a, a first round pick, even if it's in the twenties the or what have you. So looking at, you know, a part of a package deal to get an impact player that addresses a need further up in the lineup, whether it's a center or something like that, that's something you have to weigh. And I think it all comes down to what exactly the path is for this team. If Bergeron and Krejci are back and you want to run it back, then you probably keep the brush because one, you need the scoring, especially considering you have so many guys that are on the shelf to start the year. But I think for them, it's all going to be about what's kind of that three, five-year plan they have mapped out because if it's all about retooling and, uh, you know, building for the future and Brusque is one of the few guys that can kind of jumpstart that rebuild by giving you draft capital or a good young player, maybe you, maybe you weigh that option, but right now still up in the air. Um, let's see. Next question is from Carpenter 33 and Carpenter asks, what's the appeal of David Quinn as the current front runner to be the next head coach of the Bruins? Well, it's, it's kind of tough Carpenter because yeah, it's, I think for him, for David Quinn, the appeal is mostly on, you know, the practical, how he would work in the room as being kind of a, a change of pace from a guy like Cassidy. I think you look at his overall track record in with New York, not that great. Again, team was rebuilding uh, and they've kind of obviously thrived since he's gone, but you had younger players who took positive steps in the right direction uh, under Quinn. You probably want to have a little bit more from a guy like, let's say, Capo Caco or Lafreniere or one of those players. But all things considered, um, you know, around league circles, Quinn's known as a guy that is more of the, you know, put his arm around you, give you the kind of a pep talk and encouraging pep talk as opposed to maybe Cassidy, who is very, again, blunt, direct, uh, you know, demanding as to what he, what he wants, especially from younger players who haven't really paid their dues. So Quinn is a little bit of a departure in that regard, but I don't know. Like, it feels like it's one of those things where sure there's ties, right? Like, again, he's not directly linked to the Bruins, but he's from Cranston, Rhode Island. He obviously coached Charlie McAvoy. Mac was like at BU. Um, McAvoy still has a really good relationship with him. 
Uh, he's coached Jeremy Swayman uh, went over at the uh, World Championships, Coach Mark McLaughlin at the Olympics as when he was head coach of Team USA. So there's ties there, but I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where if your main purpose for getting a new coach is that new voice and, and really kind of shaking things up, why not get a new voice with a maybe younger coach that maybe doesn't have the track record in terms of like maybe just years behind the bench, but could offer you higher returns. I think if, if it works out with a guy like Carberry or, or Leach or what have you. And here's the thing, like, yeah, maybe it's a little bit more risky as to, you know, whether a guy like Carberry would be in over his head, for example, but if you're already going into like kind of this new chapter for the franchise where you don't really know what exactly the, the future holds, why not, try a younger coach and see if it works. And if it doesn't, you're probably still rebuilding anyway. And if it does work out, you've got your coach of the future that you have locked in. Like, I think everyone now, as much as people talk about the narrative of, you know, the retreads and going back to the well and getting the same old coaches, I think what teams want is finding guys like a, a John Cooper, for example, a guy that kind of paid his dues, was a young up and coming coach. You lock him in to a deal and you kind of build around him as kind of your coach for the future that you can have here for a decade plus that's what teams are really looking for. And I think that starts by identifying some of these younger coaches that have again, paid their dues, have seen their stock soar uh, during their various stops. And I think the Bruins would be wise to tackle a guy like that, as opposed to someone like Quinn who, yeah, a different voice, but I don't, know, I don't think it's really going to be stealing headlines. If the news gets it sound that it's going to be David Quinn, right? Uh, let's see. Let's go through a couple more questions. We got a few here from Dr. Stevenson, eighty-six. And the first one he asks is, "Will Swayman and Olmock be there at the end of the year?" Um, I think so. I think when people look at potential moves this offseason, how the Bruins can either recoup draft picks or free up cap space, they took they look at a guy like Olmock, which makes sense, I guess, right? In terms of all right, he's a guy that. Signed here with the purpose of being a number one goalie. Uh, you have to imagine that they want to build for the future with a guy like Swayman. So Omar has a no movement clause, but if a team comes asking and, you know, let's just say Edmonton, for example, a team that desperately needs a competent solid goalie uh, to be uh, a legit team. Uh, maybe he changes his mind. I personally don't think so. I think Seth would have to go really haywire this upcoming year, whether it's, you know, Swayman's getting 70% of the stats, which I don't think is going to be the case. I still think it's going to be 55-45, uh, whichever way that kind of works out between the two of them. So I think you'd have to have Olmock really kind of change his tune in terms of, you know, what he prioritizes, how, you know, how he's feeling, if he's happy here. Because right now it seems like he's very happy to be here. I mean, he has talked multiple times about he enjoys uh, working with a guy like Swayman being in this market. Uh, he just bought a, a very nice house out in the burbs. So I don't think he's willing, you know, two years into his deal to kind of uproot his family and go all the way up to Edmonton, for example, or something like that. Again, things change. These guys are pros, so they're used to moving. Um, and if the right opportunity comes around, maybe he changes his tune. But as of right now, I'd probably say both Swain and Omar are going to be uh, sticking around for at least the next couple of years. Uh, DR Stevenson also asks, is anyone on the roster going to intimidate when dropping the gloves uh 
Not necessarily. I mean, you got like a guy like Frederick, who's more of an agitator. Again, I, I feel like, you know, the best thing Frederick did for his career is drop the gloves with Tanev in his first game. Cause I think that just sets the tone and it's what pops into the heads of Bruins fans And they look at just what his overall style of play is. And I feel like Frederick's more of like a, an agitator more than a like brawler or scrapper or one of those guys. So in terms of guys on the roster, I wouldn't probably say there's a, a set guy you go to. Um, so whether you try to address that in free agency or the trade or, or anything like that, and, you know, maybe you look at a guy like Delorier or, or something like that, but in terms of a proven kind of scrapper on this team, not really. And again, it's not like you also have guys like, Forbert or anything like that who Forbert's a big guy but I wouldn't ever characterize him as like a scrapper or like an overly physical guy so uh, if you're looking for more of that actual physical thump uh, especially in terms of dropping in gloves might have to look elsewhere off the roster to, to add that to this mix uh, in 2022-23 and then uh, last one from Dia asks how long until we see Lysel it's a great question um, my hunch is that as much as I think you're going to see once training camp opens up and he's going to get a lot of run, a lot of uh, pregame reps, all that stuff like that. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of the narrative brewing of like, Oh, he's got to make, he's got to make the team out of camp. I'd probably preach some patience here in terms of a guy like Lysel, as much as you look at his body of work, his skill level, and you can kind of draw, you know, comparisons to a guy like Pasternak who really kind of broke out on the scene, made an instant impact um, after very few reps in the AHL. I imagine the Bruins preferred strategy here is, you know, if he is lives up to the hype and becomes a, an impact player in this league, I still imagine it's something where he opens the year in Providence. You give him a few months to get his feet wet in the AHL, which is a big step up in competition from where he was in the WHL the previous year. Um, give him some months there to learn on the fly work there. And again, if it's, uh, you know, November, December, and he's got 25 points in 21 games, then you call him up. Then then he's ready to go. But I, I feel like there's a lot of risk, even with the fact this Ross is pretty depleted to open the year, to just, you know, let's say he moves like Craig Smith this offseason and just lot in Lysel in the third line. A lot of risk involved there. So I would be hesitant to do that. Um, again, we'll see. He go into the preseason and have – 10 points in three games and I changed my tune, but I think regardless, the Bruins view him as a, an impact player in this league uh, in the coming years. And if he can make it on the AHL roster, uh, learn on the fly there and potentially earn a spot later on in the season, I think the Bruins should be more than happy with that as being his you know trajectory, especially as a 19 year old kid. And then I guess we'll end it with this one from at DK score goals. Um, and he asks, how much run do you think the youth, Steen, Beecher, young defensemen, will get with the multitude of injuries on the roster that will carry over into the season? Do you think anyone sticks on the main roster for the rest of the season after that? Uh, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of opportunity, especially further down in the lineup, DK, in terms of um, you know set roles where guys can kind of really kind of uh, carve out entrenched spots there, whether it's a guy like Beecher or Steen, Mike McLaughlin's a guy who should get some run, especially with those vacancies further up in the lineup. Um, and I think also it should be incumbent on the Bruins. We talk about, you know, Don Sweeney and, and Cam Neely talked during their end of season presses about the fact that none of these younger players got uh, extended chances to kind of, you know, earn their place in the lineup this past season. Well, you also then signed 
uh, Felino and Halla and Nosek and all these other guys that covered up those spots for these guys could even earn, you know, extended playing time. So if I'm the Bruins, I'm one, I'm looking to move some guys off that fourth line, especially. I don't think Curtis Lozada is going to be back. If you can move Nosek for a low level pick or something like that, I would just do it personally. And then Felino, Don Sweeney mentioned uh, in his last presser that he wasn't planning on buying anyone out. I have to imagine they revisit that because it just seems to make a whole lot of sense uh, in terms of uh, financial aspect and the fact that you need to free up a roster spot. So if you're the Bruins and again, I don't know if guys like Beecher or Steen or McLaughlin are going to move the needle or, you know, steal headlines going into the season in terms of guys you can't miss, you know, they're not like a life cell where people are going to be excited to see every shift when he's out there. Um, but if you go into the year and you give these guys more of a leash and more of an opportunity to learn and fail um, and hopefully thrive at this next level of competition, if we get into January, February, and you have guys like Beecher or Steen um, that have paid their dues and are looking like everyday bottom six guys. Again, I don't think Beecher is going to be a top six uh, weapon for this team anytime soon, but if he ends up the year looking like a capable bottom six stalwart, again, worth it for a first round pick? Probably not, but there's value in what he could bring if he, if he works out at this next level as a guy that can kill penalties, can be physical, um, good on the four check, very good transition player, which I think was kind of underrated uh, about his time in Michigan. Again, scoring left a lot to be desired, but can still impact the game in other areas. So I definitely think there will be opportunities for some of these younger guys to one, you know, make use of these extended reps to start the year and to, you know, stay in those roles after guys come back, because I think especially further down in the depth chart, there should be opportunity for some of these guys to really stick around and really learn uh, on the fly with this team. So I think those are all the questions we got uh, for today. Um, so yeah, again, thank you guys for listening to episode 101 of the poke the bear podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with Evan. Hopefully uh, we'll have some more tangible news to talk about, whether it's uh, a new coach, whether it's Don Sweeney coming back, uh, whether it's getting ready, looking ahead to the draft pre-agency, Bergeron, a whole bunch of stuff that we're still waiting for. So all that stuff will be over, um, you know, on our next episode of Poke the Bear Podcast. We'll have all the stuff online at bostonsportsjournal.com. So please subscribe there. And again, thank you guys for listening. Have a great rest of your week.